Hello, hello. What's going on? Jason Bay here. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. This is a podcast for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate making dozens or hundreds of cold calls throughout the week to get very little pickups in very few meetings set. So if that's ever happened to you or someone on your team or to a team that you're leading, you're definitely in the right place. Today, I'm talking to my man, Patrick Downs. So he's a team lead at PandaDoc. And one of the things that we're going to really dig into is really his approach to messaging and how he's taught this stuff and then also mastered this stuff himself, how to do what he calls problem drops and how to use what is referred to as a spotlight question to really dig in and, and point out things that a prospect may or may not be able to do. And we're gonna talk about a bunch of other stuff too. So this is a really great episode. I think you're really gonna dig it. Let's get to it. Super excited for this conversation with Patrick. We had a pretty good rapport in this conversation and uh, we did some funny stuff at the end. He asked me some random questions that he normally asks people on his podcast and we, <laughs> we got like super deep in the last five minutes. So I think you're gonna enjoy that part, but there's a couple of really big topics that we talk about today. One is just some habits that he's seen in top performing reps, how to have more empathy for the people that we're reaching out to and how to really sit in their shoes. And then this other thing, because we spend quite a bit of time on cold calling, I think you're really going to dig. He talks about these things called spotlight questions. So it's how to ask a question, a how are you doing blank question. It's how to ask a question like that to spotlight something that your customer cannot do right now. So if you know, for example, that, you know, if I'm selling a sales engagement tool to help people automate emails and stuff like that, right? An example of this, if I ask a question to a customer I know that's not using the tool like that, I might say something like, hey, how are you enabling your reps to spend less time sending manual follow-up activities and more time on the stuff that actually requires them you know, to use their brain, like talking to a customer, right? Or how do you prevent your reps from wasting time sending follow-up emails that are literally the same exact email to hundreds of prospects over the course of the week. You know, something like those. And I could polish those up a little bit, but I think you kind of get the point. I'm gonna ask you a question on how you're doing something that I know that you probably can't do. And it's to spotlight the fact that they may or may not be able to do it and to get them talking about how they do things. This is one of many things that we're gonna talk about today. I'm super excited for you to check out. Before we get to the episode, I wanna tell you about Outbound Squad. So this is a program that we've recently launched. And the whole thinking behind this is a few things. There's a lot of places when you think about it to get a sales courses, right? There's all kinds of great courses on sales. There's all kinds of great coaching out there. You can get one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching, whatever it might be. And there's a ton of great communities out there, right? Slack communities, online communities. There's stuff that you can join every week at a certain time, you know, all that kind of stuff. What doesn't really exist out there, and what I believe is that all the top reps I've worked with and uh, having been a top rep myself, the answer was not more sales content. It wasn't sit down and listen to more podcasts or watch more webinars or consume more LinkedIn content. It was really about how can I spend more time selling and then how can I spend more time opening up new opportunities? Those are really the two things that high performers prioritize. So what I really believe is that we don't need more sales content. We don't need more courses or coaching or community. We need something that's got everything in one 
So you don't have to waste time every week trying to find the right information to help you with what you need help with right now. And that's why I started Outbound Squad. It's really to build a tribe of top performing reps where we have world-class training content and courses. We have expert coaches, so people like myself and several others that we're going to have involved, and then also a killer community, all wrapped in one. And the whole focus here is I want to find people that are committed to the craft, people that don't treat sales as a job, they treat it as a profession. So if that's you and any of that relates with you, this is a paid program. But if any of that relates with you, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, jason at blissfulprospecting.com and put squad in the subject line and I can get you some more information. But yeah, if that relates with you and you're looking to level up, get your master's in sales, this is definitely uh, the thing for you. Where you talk outbound sales, we talk personal development and all of the above. So let me know, send me an email, blissfulprospecting.com, jason at blissfulprospecting.com, put squad in the email and I'll get you some more information. All right, cool, let's get to the episode. So uh, one thing I've been asking people just to, as a quick icebreaker, what did you eat for breakfast when you were a kid? Oh my God, dude. Something embarrassing. Like I grew up in New Hampshire. I had this obsession with snow cones. So like, (laughs) maybe not the answer you were expecting, but every winter morning I would go out and gather snow uh, and put it into a bowl and pour like colored stuff on it that had sugar in it to make my own snow cone Wow! in the morning because I wanted to start it frosty. Wow. So you made an actual snow cone out of snow. I've never heard of anyone doing that before, dude. <laughs> Sometimes dirty snow. <laughs> I took what I had. Sometimes there's no clean snow, but I needed that. I know so much more about you now. She was a little kid just blowing snow. I even got like one of those professional cups. That's exactly what they use at the stands. I was like, I'm, this isn't any amateur stuff here. Well, dude, I'm super excited to talk to you. We've had a a chat before this and just kind of been following each other on LinkedIn too. So I'm I'm excited to dig in with you. How did you get into like the B2B game? Because you have a lot of different experience, like specifically in like kind of the outbound B2B sales. How did you get into that? Well, like a lot of people, I went to college not really knowing what I wanted to do and spent like 40K on a degree that I (laughs) never used. So I was like, okay, once I graduated, I now have to pay for stuff. Uh, I no longer have a dorm covered. What do I do? And I went on the alumni board and saw a role for an account executive at Yelp. And being the naive 22-year-old I was, I was like, I just watched Mad Men. You know, account executives get to hang out and smoke cigars and drink bourbon. And Yelp, I use Yelp all the time. I'm sure nobody hates Yelp. (laughs) This is going to be a great idea. So I decided to move all the way across the country from New Hampshire to Scottsdale, Arizona, to be an account executive for Yelp. And that was my first sales job. And from there, I ended up moving into SaaS and a bunch of other kinds of business. But that was the start. What what did you study in school? (laughs) English. (laughs) English. Wow. Okay. I mean, you're like most people in sales got into sales on accident, it sounds like. But English into sales is is really interesting to me. Do you look at sales as more of an art or a science? I mean, obviously, there's both of those elements into it. But do you feel like it leans, especially your style, more one way or the other? You know, I I do definitely practice both. I'd say art more so because I'm more about like what you say 
but I still do understand that it takes like a certain number of things to get a result. Yeah. So yeah, I think we'd be lost without one. Yeah. If we were just doing one or the other. I agree with you. We're like, if I had to pick a ratio, I'd say it's like two thirds art. Yeah. And maybe a third science, you know, where the art piece is, especially prospecting is the art of the conversation. Sure. There's certain psychology triggers that you can pull and certain techniques you can use, but at the end of the day, the best people I've seen at cold calling, at least, are the best conversationalists. They can just talk to people. Exactly. You just have a lot of really great experience managing people, doing this activity yourself, seeing a lot of different stuff. Like, what do you see in the people that are really good at prospecting? It's a lot of habit stuff. Okay. And it's a lot of how they are and how they behave normally funneled into the profession. And I, I think this can be kind of taught, but the very best salespeople just take who they are and kind of amplify it in a way like Mm -hmm. using Luke Ruffing as an example he's one of our best salespeople and is our best outbound rep like his habits are really just he has a very direct conversational style he is very persistent doesn't give up he loves psychology and has always loved like the art of what if I say this what will this person do a lot of like if then tinkering in his brain since he was a kid yeah and uh, he, he even puts it as like I was the dumbest kid in the smart family. So like, I always need to like fight for whatever was in front of me. Like if I had a chicken wing in front of me, I had a knife out next to it just in case, you know, somebody was going to come near. So he has this like whole mentality that he hasn't changed anything. He just took that and he put it Uh into what he does. And that's why he's so great. I want to talk about that piece, the amplifying yourself because, oh man, how long did you think it took for you to find your personal, like your sales voice? like your style, where I was no longer copying something I heard in a book. For me, it was Jeffrey Gittimer. I wanted to be like Jeffrey Gittimer when I first learned sales. And it's probably two or three years of that, like channeling my inner Gittimer, (laughs) you know? Yeah. What was that process like for you, just finding your sales voice? I feel like it was instantaneous, but it was weird because like I worked at Yelp where it's so heavily scripted. Yeah. But right away, like in my first sales call, I was just cracking jokes and being weird. Like I'm a weird person. So like my first cold call was just me calling a tattoo shop. And I was like, Hey man, do tattoos even buy ads? Like that was like my opener to sell ads. Yeah. My manager was like, why are you saying that? I, was like, I don't know. The guy kept talking to me, you know? So right away I, I just thought, okay, there's some tenets of sales that I can use to structure what I do, but the color of, of the structure is up to me. And right away I just put my color on it. Interesting. I love that analogy too. It's almost like a you know a coloring book that's a blank canvas and you're coming in and putting through what you think it should look like. Like if I approach a coloring book, a lot of what I'm going to do, especially as a kid, I wanted the colors to be realistic. My wife, way different, right? She actually has an imagination, you know? So it's like, there's going to be people with blue skin, you know, and stuff in there. How do you help a rep or for a rep that might be thinking about like how they insert more of their personality into it. I know it's kind of easy to say, just be yourself. Like, how do you help people with that? How do you get them to be more of themselves and to like really not compartmentalize who they are as a salesperson and who they are as a person? You know, that's, that's a hard one. I think a lot of managers and trainers have been trying to figure that out uh, forever. Yeah. Right? Uh, my best guess at it would be, it's not that they're doing the wrong thing. It's just that they're not doing who they are. Yeah. Like if you listen to somebody's call, it's like, oh, that's just not you. Mm-hmm. It's not that there's like um, something they're adding that's wrong. It's just they've removed themselves entirely 
from the process. They're not there. It's like you open a door and then like put in a dummy into it instead of yourself and you just marionette that dummy. It's, it's the mask that people are putting on. Do you think maybe a part of it is, does it feel a little bit like you're taking a bit of a risk? Where if I put too much of my personality into this and I get rejected, maybe that might feel more like they're rejecting me as a person versus me as a salesperson. 100%. Yeah, because like if they reject your offer, then they're not rejecting you. They're just rejecting your offer. Which is why I think people really do lead so much with like a feature pitch. Yeah. Because they know if somebody says no, it's like, oh, they just need the product. Yeah. It's super easy to rationalize that. But if you lead with something more creative, then they're shooting down your idea, which is more closely related to you. Yeah. Oh, man, that's really interesting to me. So this uh, this amplifying yourself, I think that's a really big one. Anytime someone can really channel who you are as a person and how, like, if you if your title wasn't a salesperson, you weren't given training, how would you approach selling this thing? <laughs> you know, like, what would you do? How would you start from scratch? I'm really interested in the people that think like that because that's where like change is made, especially people coming from outside of sales coming into an SDR, you know, BDR kind of role. Okay, so one of the big things, I think a good place to kind of start as we get a little more tactical here is we talked a lot about before this, how do we get in the head of the people that we're reaching out to? This is sort of an exercise right in, in empathy, but how do you think about, because it's a big buzzword, you know, I talk about empathy a lot too, but how do you think about empathy in terms of getting in the other person's head? How do you think about training it to people where they're maybe not instinctually thinking about what this experience is like for the other person? A lot of my recent LinkedIn content has been about this. I made a post today about deliverability on emails. Like yeah. I started thinking, I haven't even gotten a sales email in three months and I checked my spam And there was a thousand emails from sales reps. And I was like, wow, I thought they just forgot about me, but no, (laughs) they were still trying. So I was like, okay, like a lot of reps don't even know that. So like just letting them know early on what the experience is like from the other side, showing them, Hey guys, here's my calendar. I'm not trying to say like I'm the busiest guy in the world or anything. If I'm a team lead and you look at my calendar and I'm back to back all day, what does the calendar look for a CEO like? probably worse (laughs) by a lot. Mm -hmm. So everything that you do needs to break through that. And if you look at their inbox, it's even worse. Even the stuff that probably gets through spam, they have thousands of emails coming in every day. I think people just think, oh, why didn't you read or respond to my email without thinking about the actual situation on the other side? Yeah, I agree 100%, man. It's literally thinking about what it's like sitting in the seat, not figuratively. (laughs) Try to imagine that person's workflow. And this is a big thing that I think people overlook with executives. They think, oh, they're really strategic in nature. Like, yeah, they are, but they have a workflow too. They do actual work during the day too. That might just be a meeting or meeting with their assistant or having them do something, but there is a workflow associated with that. And part of that is deciding what should take their attention or not, you know? And the uh, Jed on your team who we interviewed, brilliant dude. One of the things that I thought that he did that was really kind of creative was looking at what other reps are sending and like what, like from a bigger picture standpoint is coming inbound to PandaDoc. I thought that was kind of interesting, right? And it's again, it's like thinking in the head of the people that are coming to you, who are those people and aligning your outbound process more with the people that are coming inbound. But is there anything tactically that you do or that you have your reps do to really get in the head of the people that they're reaching out to? 
So going off of what Jed was talking about, um, I had a, a new rep that is looking to break into the cannabis industry since we don't currently have anybody assigned to that. And we had a couple of people come inbound. So he was like, I don't have any cadence for this. What do I do? So we went in and, and I found like 20 close one ops and I just like took the notes and exported them into a spreadsheet and just like looked at all the use case, pain, timeline, yeah. titles, all that stuff. And then I wrote a cadence just based on that, right? Or it was just like, okay, well, they care about being able to get out documents quickly. But they don't want employees to see certain data on the documents. Um, and they don't want reps changing certain things on the documents that would cause legal issues. Those were the three things that I kept seeing. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's my message. Yep. Super easy way to build a cadence. Like if you're ever confused about, hey, what do these people care about? You have a CRM full of stuff that will tell you exactly what they care about. Yeah, I love that, man. And we talked about this before we hit record, but how do you use the sales experience with prospects to inform you know, the outbound motion? Yes. What other kind of stuff you do, man? I know you guys do a lot of creative stuff. Is there any other kind of tactical things that when you're writing messaging or trying to get in the head of people or when you're sharpening the message of cadences that are already kind of working all mm-hmm. right? Is there anything else that you do? Anything that that is very, very different. I mean, the idea of a pattern interrupt, I think, is well-worn. But something I saw recently in one of our cadences was we put uh, sent from my iPhone at the bottom of one of the emails, which I really liked. Also, just like intentionally um, not attaching stuff to documents. So it's like, hey, here's a report. And then not attaching it on purpose. That's got a huge reply rate. It's like, where's the report? <laughs> you said there was going to be one. It's like, oh, here it is. Do you have time for a quick conversation? Or are you open to learning more? Those are a couple of cool things that I've seen recently. Those are pretty cool, man. The sent from iPhone, did you see a significant increase in reply rates or anything like that? Or meetings booked from using that? Or do you have enough data to be able to know? It's probably like the first 500, but the reply rate was like 4 or 5%. More. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty significant. Do you, when you're thinking about messaging... Like with the email cadence, for example, do you think about how to make it look more like off the cuff? Like, do you put any grammatical errors in there on purpose or a space, like something weird with spacing to look more like maybe you typed it out on the phone or anything like that? People will let me, I'm always trying to put stuff like that in there. The issue when enablement gets involved, they're like, no way. They're like, I'm not letting that happen. I used to be an enablement, so I just wouldn't tell anybody else we were doing it. I was just like, yeah, don't look at it. But the reply rates are higher. And I think that's an interesting point too, because like sometimes people don't want to do stuff that works because they're afraid about how it comes off. Yeah. Like that's a a big roadblock. I think a lot of leaders have that are at a lower level where it's like, well, the marketing team is just not on board or the enablement team is just not on board, Mm -hmm. which unfortunately stifles creativity. So you kind of need to do it at the rep level where it's like, they just kind of fire off the cuff and do some experimental stuff. Yeah, And then you can bring it and say, here, here are the results we have. We should probably try this. Yeah, Unfortunately, sometimes people don't care about that, but hopefully they do. <laughs> yeah. God, this is such a weird thing with the companies. I agree with you 100%. With the companies that I work with where, you know, marketing or enablement is coming up with the messaging. And, and these are my allies, you know, and a yes. lot of times I'm working with enablement to get the clients. This is not a knock on enablement or marketing. But what I want to say sometimes is, why don't you send the emails out with that messaging? You do that, and then we'll do what we think works. And let's just compare and not have an ego about it has to be written and pre-approved by enablement or marketing. Like, why don't we just try it and see what works best? 
You know, I don't know why more of that doesn't exist, but it sounds like for you, you're just like, hey, let's just test it out. And like, if we can do something better, let's just prove it. You know, we don't necessarily need to follow the rules, so to speak. Yeah, and, and all SAPs have an A-B testing functionality. Yep. So you don't even have to completely test everybody into one. Yeah, yeah, I love it, man. So another thing that you talk about too is this getting rid of eye-focused messaging. Yes. And this core belief around just being more curious about other people. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, almost every email that I've ever gotten from a salesperson starts with, I do X and we helped Y with Z. Do you want a meeting? My name is Jason Bay. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's the okay. worst is the my focus messaging. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like your name's in the email. It's in your signature. Yeah. Like that's a bit of a waste of space. And that's a, a big reason I focus on the eye focus messaging is because if you look at what shows up in the preview text, it's like the first sentence or so, right? Mm -hmm. And if you spend that entirely on talking about who you are, then there's no open loop of like, why should I care to open this? It's just completely closed yeah. off. Like, oh, it's just Patrick Downs. Who cares? So you need that first line at the very least to talk about the person that you're targeting. So something that I've seen us do successfully is like the subject line says, from this company to your new company. So from like mm -hmm. Twitter to Panadoc. Yeah. Right away, you're like, okay, that could only be for me or someone else at my company that used to work there. And the first line is, hey, Patrick, you're probably dealing with X right now. Right away, completely about me. Yeah. And if I am dealing with X, at the very least, I'm going to consider opening it, right? I have free will. I can decide not to, or I can get busy. But you are just trying to up any chance that you have for that person to go, okay, you got me. I'll at least open the freaking thing and look at it. Yeah, the you're probably thing is, uh, I'm going to have to try that. I love that because if I got an email that said you're probably, I'm like, okay, what's what's this Stu Patrick saying? Exactly. You know, <laughs> what assumption is he making about me? <laughs> exactly. So do you think about, are you literally going in and removing all of the eyes? Yes. And changing it more to you? Okay, yeah, t tell me more. I will make it awkward. Like, I'm okay with the email sounding ridiculous as long yeah. as there's no I do this. Even if I have to do folks that do this or like something grammatically, eh, yeah. I'd rather it not say I. Yeah. Like I remove it entirely. I'll even do stuff like instead of I notice this, it's noticed. Yep. You just take the I off the front, saw, saw that. But yeah, the best way to start an email is your. Even if you say like, I, I, I noticed you're hiring, you could just say your company's hiring right now. Yeah. Just remove it. Yeah. And uh, I'm wondering, what do you think is going on from a psychology standpoint for the prospect when you read something that says you, your, that type of language versus the I thing. What do you, what do you think is going on there? I think it's the same frustration when somebody's in public and they're just trying to do some task and somebody comes up and introduces themselves. Yeah. It's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to get a coffee. Like if you came up to me while I was trying to get a coffee, you're like, Hey, my name's Jason. Like I'm a sales trainer and I'm just trying to get a coffee. I'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like that would be a psychotic interaction yeah. if you did that. Like you can think of an email as any other form of interaction. You're essentially walking up to someone and just introducing yourself for no reason. Yeah. So if I went up to you and said, what did you get? Or what do you recommend? You know, something like that. That's going to be a way easier way to start a conversation because I'm asking you about something that's important to you. Tap you on the show like, hey, Jason, you're probably getting the iced coffee, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of, I'm Patrick. I work at PandaDoc. Okay. Yeah. I love that analogy. That's a really great way to think of it. Is there anything else when you think of the messaging, the structure of it? It sounds like you start with something about them. Is there anything else 
in terms of how the message, what comes next? How do you think about structuring the order of things and how they come out in an email? I've tried a bunch of stuff. Something I'm liking right now is kind of back to basics. After the you, I do like referencing a customer. However, that has to be so specific. Like it just doesn't work because so many people have been like, oh, Twitter's also doing this. And I'm sitting here going, okay, PandaDoc is nothing like Twitter. We're not a social media company. Like it might be in the internet space, but it's barely related. So you do have to dig a little bit deeper. But if I was trying to pitch Facebook and I said Twitter, then that works because it triggers the, oh no, someone else is doing this thing. Why are they doing it? Yeah. But I'm not going to feel that way about some company that has nothing to do with me. So that's, that's my second line. And then I immediately just end with an open-ended call to action. I've tested open to learning more, down for a chat, any interest here. That stuff all performs much better than, hey, book a time. Do you have time at three or four? That stuff, I don't get any replies to anymore. Even if the, the rest of the email is exactly the same. If I end it with, hey, can we do a meeting at three? It just doesn't get responses. Yeah, it really kind of backs up Gong's data around asking for interest yeah. versus asking for time. I always think about with the outbound motion, how do you get the funnel to look less like a T where you send out 100 outreaches and get one response? Yeah, less like a T and, and like an actual funnel. And the way that I think you do that is like, you think about how do I get a person to respond to me? Yeah. Because if I can get them to respond with something that's very low effort, yes. Or uh, what we're doing right now too, I'm seeing some success with is, you know, hey, Patrick, it's the same kind of thing you're doing. You're probably focused on one of these two things if you're like other VPs of sales that I talk to, and it's a bullet point one, bullet point two, and they're super specific priorities. It's not grow revenue. It's uh, get your team to make more cold calls. You know, it's, it's super specific. I want to record a video with you to share something insightful about how we're helping this company. Mm. Can you reply back with a one or a two and I'll send it over to you? And they just respond with a number, mm. you know? So it's like thinking about how can I do a really low friction ask because once they respond, I think there's, I don't know if it's law of reciprocity or maybe sunk cost fallacy. I don't know what's going on when someone invests that tiny bit of effort into responding to you. The likelihood that they respond again after that is like 10x yeah. compared to trying to get a response from someone that has not engaged with you at all. I don't know what it is. I think it might be consistency. Ah, yeah. You never, like if I'm just talking to you again in a coffee shop, if you said something to me and I responded and then you said something again and then I just stared at you and didn't say anything, <laughs> I wouldn't do that because that wouldn't be consistent with the fact that I just started a conversation with you. But then it's like, all right, I started this. I got to keep going. Yeah, I love that because thinking, because that again, because the theme today is kind of getting in the head of the person you're prospecting to. And I think this especially applies over the phone too. One of the big mistakes I hear people make in intros is they say, hey, Patrick, this is Jason with Blissful Prospecting. Mm. And I'm like, uh, dude, ask a, do something right there because the response that people get is always uh, not interested. I'm like, do I give them even a chance to do all that at, at all and like divert the conversation towards something that's important to them? You know, something that they're thinking about. But uh, I want to pick your brain on this though. So, so with the phones, <sighs> how do you think about the phone from a messaging standpoint? How do you think about it compared to email? I think it's very similar. And I was going to end the email thing off with a spotlight question idea. Okay. Because that's how I've decided to end a couple of my email campaigns, especially the more custom ones that I'm doing to high value prospects. It would end with a spotlight question. 
which would be, as we talked about before, how are you doing X with X thing being what they can't do without your product? So an example of that might be like, hey, John, saw you're scaling your sales team. How are you making sure that they're able to present pricing on the phone with their prospects when you spend all the marketing money to get them on the phone? Mm. And that's my last sentence. Yeah. So I'm just trying to open a conversation. The results I got with that were crazy. Like a lot of them didn't even respond to the question. They were just like, I went to your website. That was like the number one thing I heard was I went to your website to see why you asked me that. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I had a couple of people call me and were like, hey, after I saw your email, I looked at your website, like, it looks like you guys do proposal stuff. And I was like, this is a weird <laughs> dynamic. Like it completely shifted the dynamic. I was like, what is this? It feels like more like an inbound lead now. <laughs> yeah. Super weird. The only reason you would respond to that is because that question hit you some way. Yeah. It probably hit you with, I can't do that. And it's the open yeah. loop, right? The whole idea that Josh Brown talks about where it's like, there's now an open loop where they want to fill in the loop. Yeah. How do I do that? Yeah. This is interesting because uh, a guy that I've been talking a lot about, he's uh, in one of our boot camps, Ethan, the thing that he's made a shift of is asking around these really specific priorities. So he sells a solution that helps like marketing teams at really large insurance companies, for example, kind of some, one of the functionalities may be similar to PandaDoc in that it, it helps them control what's going into the proposal during the proposal process. Cause there's a, a really big element of risk around a broker who's a contractor sharing something in that proposal that they're not supposed to and like really creating some risk there. So reducing risk and being really specific around that is something that he hears these people talk about a lot and they don't have a way to do it. What I'm hearing from you that would be a really good way for him to end the email is, I'm curious, how are you limiting the content that brokers are sharing in their proposals so it doesn't put you guys at risk? And then what they're going to respond to, I almost, I could just see them responding with, we don't have a way to do that right now. Or I've been thinking about that. Or they just go to the website. (laughs) Yeah. That was a weird trend. Almost every single person went to the website immediately uh, instead of responding. You know, you bring up another element too, I think that's interesting. This is really hard to track unless, ah, God, I mean, if you were doing click tracking, I guess you might know if someone clicks on the something in your signature, but I find with click track, do you use click tracking or do you turn it off? Not really. And, And with these specific cases, they just told me. Yeah. Yeah. Click tracking, I find lowers the open rate oftentimes too. And it's usually not very accurate depending on the size of company you're reaching out to. But I have a hunch if we could tell what people are doing, that when someone goes to your website from a cold email, dude, the likelihood that they book a meeting has got to be way higher. Oh yeah. Especially if they go to a PandaDoc site where they're like, oh, industry, cool. That's my industry. Use case, case studies, everything right there spelled out for them. And you create this, I call this inbound-ish. <laughs> you, know, you create this kind of inbound feel. Yeah like you're doing. That's a really interesting thing to think about with your email too, is how am I creating enough curiosity with this that someone would go to my website? Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because like, why would they click on your website? Nobody that has no interest in the message of your email would click on your website. And then once they get there, it's whether or not the website makes them go, oh, this is how I would solve that problem that we talked about. Yeah. No, I love that, man. So Spotlight questions. I love that technique in the CTI. I definitely want to try that. Cold calling. Yes. So what's the approach here? How do you think about the the call? And how does this differ, if much at all, from how you think about email and the messaging and the approach there? The same way that you just cut out stuff that isn't necessary in an email, 
I think about it the same way. You had mentioned like the, hey, this is Jason from Blister Prospecting. It's just the worst way to open up a call. Like, and I feel like if it does work, the only reason it works is because whatever you're selling is just something they need. Yeah. And I think a lot of salespeople mistake that for like a process working. Like, oh, well, I booked the meeting. And it's like, yeah, but did they just need what you had? Yeah. Is it because of the way that you presented it? And it's often just that later one. Mm-hmm. So I just like to open with, hey, is this John? Confirm who it is. And then immediately identify myself as a salesperson and give them my pitch. The other variant might be I give them an out before I give them my pitch. Some people have very strong feelings about not doing that. It personally works for me when you give an out. When you say identify yourself as a salesperson, what does that sound like? This is a sales call. It's the first thing I say. Yeah. And you're calling on salespeople too? Sales leaders? Operations leaders, marketing leaders, and sales leaders. Yeah. And then, so I would just identify myself as a salesperson. And then I would either give them an out to say, you can just hang up right now. Or I might just go into why I'm calling, depending on how I'm feeling. So do you introduce your name or your company or anything? Or you do no. just say, so it's, uh, hey, is this Patrick? Open the loop idea. Yep, this is Patrick. This is a sales call. Yeah. Do you want to hang up right now? Or is it cool if I share why I decided to give you a call today? That's exactly it. Yeah. And then if I don't do it, I'll just say, this is a sales call. The reason I'm calling is X. People are dealing with these three things. I imagine you're going to tell me that none of that's relevant to you. I've heard you did that. I thought that was brilliant, dude. I love that. I got to give credit to Benjamin uh, Dennehy. Okay. As a UK sales trainer. Yeah. He's a Sandler guy and he modified a Sandler line there. Yeah. I heard that and I immediately was just like, that's totally me. Like that's, that's my line. I've been using it for two years. It's incredible. Can you do it one more time? I think it'd be good for people to listen to it. What does, let's, you want to role play one real quick? And I'll for just, sure. we just do this little first part. I, I'd love to hear how it sounds for you. Hey, this is Jason. Hey, Jason, this is a cold call. Do you want to give me 30 seconds to would you like to hang up? Uh, go ahead. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, so the reason I'm calling is I typically get invited in by ops leaders like you who are dealing with one of three things. First thing, the reps are taking way too long to generate proposals, so they're not spending any time on prospecting, which is affecting the ops leaders because their OKRs are typically around the amount of calls and efficiencies with their salespeople. Two, it's not that, but the systems are disconnected. You're having to spend time helping reps through Salesforce, PDFs, and Gmail, while you should really be focusing on hitting your OKRs and clearing out tasks for the day. Or three, it's not that at all, but there's an issue with the forecast. It's all self-reported. It's all subjective. There's no objective data to make sure that your company can get on the needle enough that you can properly budget for the next quarter. I know that was long-winded, and I imagine you're going to tell me that none of that's relevant to you. <laughs> Dude, I love this. I, I What I like, and this is the outbound cheat code is what I call it. What you just said there is so in tune with things that I'm probably thinking about and working on right now. It's like a problem in our priorities stacked like into one thing. It's high enough level to where it's something I'm thinking on in my priorities and it's problem centric enough to where it's something that I might be running against versus I think that sometimes with problems, do you ever hear people get way too in the weeds with a problem? And it's like, yeah, they might have that problem, but it's not related to something that is like a top priority for them right now. Yeah. Yep. And something I've, I've done to fix it, as you probably noticed, I list two problems within each of my problems. Yeah. I list the high level problem, forecast is off. And then I, I list the actual more specific problem. They can't budget for the next quarter. Yeah. So I'm linking an, an impact to the actual high-level issue that's more specific. Yeah, I love this. 
And I love that you give options too, because it's really easy to miss if you share one. And then it's like, what do you do? In my experience on a cold call, you miss in the first one and they're like, no, actually we're good. Or, you know, not really. And it's like, where do you go from there? You've lost all the momentum. <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, you mind if I try that again? I have another problem that I hear a lot. You know, it just, it doesn't really, really flow that well. How do people respond when you do the first part and you say, this is a sales call and you do a kind of a permission-based opener right there? How do people respond if they don't give you the 30 seconds? You can cut this out if you want to, but the, the, the worst one I got was I, uh, I had this content lead and it was a gas station. I don't know how we got it. I called this guy, it was like Michael's Oil or something. And I said, frick it, I'm going to do it. And I was in a Zoom meeting with my reps. So we were doing like calls together. Yeah. And the guy picks up and I did that line. And he says, well, I'd rather squeeze your neck and hope that your eyes roll back in your head. <laughs> wow. And then he hung up on me and I was like, okay, <laughs> never heard that one before. <laughs> that's an interesting one, but that's obviously on the extreme. Typically it's just click like a hang up. It's like, okay, you gave him permission to hang up and then they hang up for the most part. But the way that I think about that is the person that takes the out have been thinking about how to get out of it the whole time. Yeah. And they would have just hung up on me and gave me an excuse. Yeah. Like nothing I would have said would have mattered. They wouldn't have listened. Yeah. It's like people that think that you need to give value before pricing. If somebody doesn't have $10,000 to spend and you have no way of breaking it up, they can't spend it. Yeah. I'd rather have the person opt out. And I don't know what you notice, but usually when I have people track this and when I do it myself, eight or nine times out of 10, people give you a shot, you know? Yeah. And again, you're calling into VPs or excuse me, marketing, sales, and ops in tech, I, I would assume for the most part. These people are hardcore, yeah. dude, because they get hit up by a ton of salespeople at all these fast-growing software companies. A lot of the work that I do outside of SaaS, the most basic stuff works, dude. You can ask someone how you're doing. Yeah. You know, hey, Patrick, Jason, how you doing today? People are like, yeah, I'm pretty good. <laughs> how are you doing, Jason? You know, like in even care. It's just like, <laughs> you don't have to like do all this crazy stuff. But um, yeah, so I, what I'm saying, I guess, is I applaud people like you that are doing what you're doing because it's on hard mode, you know, for you guys. You've really got to be impressive with these folks. I want to go back to the spotlight question. Yes. So if the person says, hey, I'm dealing with uh, number one right now, do you then go into your spotlight yes. questions and some, do you kind of dig a little bit deeper into the problem? Like what happens after the person says, yeah, I'm working on number one right now, or I'm thinking about number one, or yeah, number one's a problem. I test the problem. I want to figure out if it's really a problem or they were just saying, oh, that kind of sits with me. Because I'm under the idea that I don't want to just book a meeting to book a meeting. Yeah. Like I want to book a meeting because there's a real need to change right now. Yep. Right. It's not an intro call where we just get to know each other. It's like, I'm trying to sell you something. Right. Like there's a place for intro calls, but when I'm cold calling, that's not really my intention. Yeah. So I'm trying to test and see whether this is legit. I, I just use the Sandler pain funnel when I get to that point. Can you give me an example? Oh, so you put them on the spot. Yeah. Give me an example of that problem since you said you just had it. And then what? What happens when that happens? What's the impact of that? How long has this been happening? What have you done to try to fix it? Have you given up on it? Do you think if there was a better way that you would do something about it? Or is this just the way it has to be? So you're almost, there's a little bit of reverse psychology almost where it's like, okay, now that you said that you've had this problem, you need to kind of sell me on 
the problem and the magnitude. And this is something that you're serious about. There's almost, I don't know if reverse psychology is the right way to say it, but it almost, it takes away this dynamic of you being this person calling them of lower status, a lower status salesperson. It kind of evens the playing field a little bit when you get to this point. Yeah. And I will say like, it doesn't work on every persona. Some people will get pissed off. Like they'll just be like, no, I see what you're doing. I don't want to play this. And then it's like, okay. <laughs> and I can take that persona off. And I'm like, what do you want to do? I got, <laughs> well, what, what could I have done better? <laughs> and just try to like make a joke or leave the tension in some way. Yeah. Or like even give like a hard strip line into it. It's like, oh, so you meant to hang up on me then. Like lean into it even more. Yeah. And like, well, I wasn't going to hang up on you. Cause it is a little bit of a reverse psychology Yeah. where you're playing this game of chicken where it's like, do you want to hang up? Like, should we even be talking? And that's something you can carry into a sales cycle too. I've had hardcore negotiations where the person's like, it's this or I can't do it. And I go, I'm really sorry to hear that. Like, I'm going to close everything out on your side and my number's available if you need me. Yeah. And then I just sit there and look at them and they're like, no, like I need the product. And I'm like, well, I can't do the numbers. So how do you suggest we move forward? Yeah. Another very crisp on that works so question well. there too, where it's like you put the burden on the other person, make them do the work of thinking and solving the problem. You know, this is interesting because, and I'm, I'm very against the whole pickup artist movement, but when that was really popular, yes. you know, when it came out, the one thing that they did, because there was some good psychology in there. I do not like manipulating people that are emotionally, you know, yeah. so I'm not advocating, please, for anyone listening. And I'm not advocating for any of that. One thing that they talked about, though, that I thought was interesting was kind of this because approaching people in public, that's like cold calling. It's this, it's the same exact thing, except for you're doing it in person. And one of the techniques was talking to someone, generating some interest, and then you offering to leave. Well, hey, you know, I'm here with my friends. I got a lot going on. Let me know if you want to keep chatting or whatever, right? It's kind of like this like takeaway thing where it's like, hey, I have something else I could be doing. And if you actually, as a salesperson, if you're really confident and you do have a full pipeline, you can't afford to walk away from opportunities. And I think it's putting yourself in that position where you don't need to get the meeting on the cold call. Yes. And it's that, is it forgetting Sarah Marshall, that scene where he's teaching him how to surf and uh, Paul Rudd's character is, he's like, hey, you got to do less. He's like, do less, right? Like, don't try so hard. It's so true, man. Like, I've gotten some pushback on this style. And for me, it's always worked. I think... It needs to fit you though. Yeah. And you need to be able to sell it because it's actually you and, and not just some like character that you're playing. Because people can tell if it's a character. And that's when it backfires and people get angry. Like that can happen. So when when thinking about these tactics, like practice them, do them one by one, don't do them all at once, because it can backfire. But when it works together and you kind of need each piece of it, yeah, then it really sings, but you need each piece. Cause like you notice the end when I was talking about negotiation, I said, what do you suggest we do about it? If I didn't have that question that, that fed it back to them and gave them control, that person would just be mad at me. Yeah. You need each aspect of it. I think some people will just take one aspect and do it and it won't work. And they'll think the whole thing doesn't work, but it's just one piece of a larger structure. And it's like, we forget that you're having a conversation with another human being too. There's so many variables yeah. just in that, you know, so many, I think this, if we kind of bring this conversation full circle around your approach and your personality, like this type of approach is very hard for me to do too. Mm -hmm. So have you talked to Bilal Betrawi before? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. You guys can do this. It's, uh, it's not snarky, but it is a little snarky. 
It's it's, it's a tiny bit snarky, but in a fun way. Yes. And it's you can it's just being disarmingly blunt is what Nick and Armand they we did a webinar and they did a whole thing like that. Yeah, you know, this being disarmingly blunt. And my style is more. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say this, but it's more of a nice guy, you know, kind of style where I'm persistent and I do it through like being really playful. It, like for me, smiling, if you smile, even over the phone, if the person can't hear you, you can get away with any type of question that you want when you smile and you're just like can be really lighthearted about it. And you create this environment where the person feels like they can say no to you without hurting your feelings or they don't feel like you're trying to push them. That's more my style. <laughs> it's like, hey, Jason, how much money do you make? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask anything. <laughs> so Patrick, like, tell me, what's your worst nightmare? What's the worst possible thing that can happen in your life right now? I, I'd love to learn more about that. The funny thing is we're joking, but that's how I open my podcast interviews. <laughs> my, uh, my number one favorite question to ask, I, I always do like three icebreakers, is uh, when was the last time you cried? Oh, shit. That's my favorite one. <laughs> what was your biggest fear as a child? And has it ever come true? And then, like, what's the first memory that you can actually recall? Like, when did you snap into existence? Oh, dude, these are heavy, heavy questions. And you know what? I want to answer those real quick, actually, because I think this would be kind of... Do it. Earliest childhood memory, I remember three years old, I remember going to being dropped off at daycare. And one of the things that my mom and dad told me, because my mom and dad were both working at the time, was my mom would come home and she would cry after dropping me off at daycare. And my dad was like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And he dropped me off at daycare one time and he just like, oh, just really ate him to like drop me off. And uh, after that, he was like, you know, one of us needs to be a stay-at-home parent, you know, kind of thing. But I remember feeling like my parents didn't want me to go to daycare because I've talked to my parents about this and I could literally outline every, I mean, like the front, it was a house converted into a daycare. The garage had glass doors. And, you know, I could just talk to you perfectly through that. The second thing that you asked was the biggest, the worst nightmare. The worst nightmare for me is, and this did happen to me a lot as a kid, and I wasn't like super lonely, but I felt out of place. It was being in a large public setting where I didn't have any friends and I had no one to talk to. Mm -hmm. This is still my worst nightmare, dude. Like going to networking events is like super tough for me. The last time I cried was not too long ago. Yeah, it's always has to do with my, my wife. And I think we might have got high or something, which I've never talked to people that I get high on the podcast before. So, hey, you learned that now about me. It had to do something. We were just talking about how much we loved each other, you know, and I was just. It was a happy cry. Yeah, it was such a happy cry. I was just thinking about the amount of love that I have for my wife and how I've just never felt that with anyone, you know, like at all, like to compare it to the love my parents have for me is just like not even close. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's that's mine, dude. You got to share yours now. <laughs> oh my god! But you see what that does? Yeah, it's, it's so crazy what those questions do, because like I ninety percent of people when they would answer them, if they really did answer them, yeah. like honestly, by the end of the interview, they were like, "That felt different. Like that was weird. Like it felt more open." Because when you start there, everything else is just so easy. Yeah. Like if I if I just told you that I got high and that's the first time I ever told anybody and that this is how much I love my wife, it's more than my parents ever loved me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a really deep way to start, yeah. right? For me, the last time I cried, I just watched the ending of Lost. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's so sad. No, it's I haven't so seen sad. it, no. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a beautiful ending. And, you know, just 
for me, it, it reminded me a lot like of my dad and just, you know, he passed when I was young oh, no. and I was just like, Jack looks a lot like him. And I was like, Oh my God. And oh. I just like really connected for me. Yeah. So it was a cathartic cry though. It was like, Oh, I feel better after that. Yeah. Um, and when I was a kid, I was so afraid of someone just being in my room oh. and in of death in general, but I had this weird thing where I would be like, I'm not going to be able to see this new movie if I die. Oh. Like that was always my <laughs> biggest fear. I was like, or this video game is going to come out and I'm not going to be able to play it. Like Halo 2 comes out in three months. What if I die I'm not gonna be able to before Halo 2 die. came out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was my biggest fear is like there's some event. And I actually had that for the first time in like a decade happen. I, I forget with what it was. I th- it might have been in the Heights, actually, right before I saw. It. I was like, "What if I die before I saw it in the Heights?" That would be so sad. That movie looks so joyous. <laughs> that would be really sad. And then, um, what was the last one? Earliest memory. Earliest memory. I am really early, like two years old. I got out of my crib, and I was like crawling around, and I crawled out into the living room with my grandfather. Was watching golf. And like, I just remember him like picking me up and being like, dude, you're not supposed to be here. And then like slowly putting me back down. And then he just sat in the corner of my room and read me a book for like an hour. And then I like went to sleep. But that's when I snapped into existence. And I remember talking to people about it, even as like a Mm seven-year-old. I was like, that's my first memory. And I've carried that with me. That's a good one, man. Yeah. Dude, this is a very unexpected thing that we did just now. And I'm so glad we did it. We got to (laughs) run. I got so many. I love the uh, the spotlight questions. I'm really going to play around with those a little bit more. But where can people go to connect with you? What do you got going on? How can they learn more about PandaDoc? All that good stuff. Yeah, I got a lot going on right now. Patrick Downs on LinkedIn is the main way to connect with me. Message me. I'm always open for conversation. Um, I'm hosting this thing called the Customer Engagement Lab that's sponsored by PandaDoc with my good friend Travis Tyler. Check that out. We do a business comedy spin on the podcast. So it's, I talk of it like uh, the daily show for sales kind of thing. We have segments, we react to stuff. We have awesome guests on. Um, and then I also have uh, a TikTok. I had a TikTok blow up. It got 400,000 views wow. and it's, uh, it's under TravDog87. <laughs> like uh, what was it called? Overhead, Overheard Sales just featured it, which was super exciting. Probably like the highlight of my entire career. <laughs> so check us out on TikTok. That's my main stuff right now. All right, that was a really fun one for me. The spotlight questions I love. It's really a variation of question stacking, which I talk about a lot. It's how do we ask a question that has context into the question? So instead of asking, what's your biggest problem with blank, you provide the context of the problem into the question so that you can narrow the focus of the question and get the person thinking about how they do things. Because when they talk about how they do things, the conversation becomes about them and it shifts away from you. And that's exactly where you want the conversation in a cold call. So I appreciate you tuning in today and tune into the podcast, spending an hour with me today. And before you take off, what I'd love for you to do, if you enjoy this podcast, is to like, subscribe, leave a review, all that good stuff. It would really help to grow the show. And so I can continue getting on great guests like Patrick. All right. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you.